Want entertainment designed just for you? Then check out customizable streaming TV from Xfinity. It makes your life simple, easy, awesome. Xfinity gives you customizable streaming TV options. Enjoy the most free shows anywhere on any device and even access your streaming apps right on your TV with X1. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 81 of Steve AGA. And this also happens to be a legitimate episode, a real episode with me in conversation with an actual guest and not me being a buffoon like the last two or three episodes. If you actually sat through the last two episodes, I'm shocked. I'm shocked at anybody who listened to the full episode. I would love to hear from you if you did that and know why, why you did that. Uh, especially that last episode, it was an hour of me just going, uh, on a loop, an hour of that, no break, a solid hour. If you listen to the whole hour, I want to know what's wrong with you. (laughs) Uh, but my apologies. I didn't have any guests lined up and I was working and busy, so I couldn't get any guests or even if I could, I couldn't find time to record. So that's what I did. Um, I'm going to try not to do that again. Uh, You can listen to uh, (laughs) this episode fully and enjoy it and enjoy my guest, Paul F. Tompkins. very funny comedian, one of my favorite comedians. He has uh, two or three albums out. Actually, I believe he has three albums out. He has a fourth one coming out soon. You should check them all out. He's so funny. His albums are amazing. And uh, it was amazing also for him to come to my apartment to do this. I usually end up going to someone's house or they go to the Starbird studio to meet me, but very rarely do people come to my apartment. So thank you, Paul, if you're listening. Thank you for doing that. And uh, thank you to you people, the audience, for um, coming back to listen to this after those last two or three episodes. Uh, Let's see. What do I have to plug? Uh, Not a lot. Not a lot of shows coming up. Uh, I was on Crashing Tonight with Pete Holmes, but by the time you hear this, that will have been two days ago. So don't worry about that. Um, You can now buy tickets for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which I have a small part in. Uh, that comes out May 5th, but tickets are on sale now. You can buy them. You can start buying advanced tickets for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, my first big budget blockbuster film that I've actually worked on. It was a lot of fun. Uh, big thanks to James Gunn for casting me in that. And uh, I think you'll love it. It's been testing great. It's, it's a Marvel movie. It'll do awesome. But I, from what I've heard from people who've actually seen screenings, pre-screenings of it that's awesome which I don't doubt and even though I'm biased I would still love to see this movie so May 5th get your tickets now 
And uh, I hope you enjoy it. You'll get to see me wearing Coke bottle goggles that really kind of limited about 90% of my vision. No joke, for real. They were impossible to see out of. But you also get to see me sporting a beard that I grew out for about six or seven months. That beard in that movie is actually mine. Anyway, um, and that's it. That's all I have to plug. Uh, Thank you, Paul F. Tompkins, for doing this episode. Thank you, people, for listening. And I hope you come back next week and uh, enjoy the podcast. Thanks. I have a bunch of acid. A um, bunch. A bunch. Like a banana. It all comes (laughs) grouped together. You got a bushel? uh, I have a bushel of acid. (laughs) I have a murder of acid. Uh, Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 81 of Steve AG. uh, And I have a guest again. Oh. Paul F. Tompkins. Hey, man. I I haven't. uh, I don't need this anymore. I haven't. The last Steve's taking, for the listener, Steve's taking his headphones off. He doesn't need that anymore. <laughs> no, I haven't had a guest on in like three weeks, and because I've been too busy to, or, or you know, I've tried and people have kind of like flaked, or I haven't really tried that much to get people on the past <laughs> few. I've been a little busy. It's a combination of things. You know how it goes. Of course, I do. Someone who's had thirty podcasts, <laughs> um, and so. Uh, like the night before they would always be due, I'd be like, I got to think of something. So like the first time I did a, a solo episode, it was just me talking. I called people like the Sklar brothers or whatever. <laughs> right. And then each week it's gotten more. Some people would say experimental for me. It's just lazy. Um, the last episode I did last week's episode, if you Which listen I haven't to listened it, to yet, it's called your masterpiece. I go, hey, everybody, thanks for listening to Steve Ag. Uh, and then I looped uh, for an hour. It is an hour long uh, for an hour. And then I end and I go, thanks for listening. It's so insulting to anyone who would subscribe to this i am glad that you told me that before i listened because i would have been so mad if i was in the car and having to hit that forward button over and over and over again and i was worried that because i have a very low register and it kind of like when i would listen with my headphones it would like do this weird vibration in my ears and i was like someone might get in a car accident with this so i put a warning on (laughs) it's like if you're listening in your car be safe (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I love the idea that like, what people would have in their minds would be happening. Well, this one has a warning. Ooh, I he's have call, to listen he's to it the, his masterpiece. It has a warning. I have to listen to the and the week before I just did sound effects. I laid out just the sound of dripping in a cave. Yes. For the whole hour. Wait, wait, wait. So that's not even counting the one where it was just you and the guitar. Where you were mad no. because Farrell was... No, that was one of the first ones. <laughs> okay. So I missed I missed the dripping cake. Because one. someone was like... One of the producers was like, Steve, you like doubled your numbers this week from last week. And I was like, oh, that's f- awesome. Yeah. And then I wrote back again. I go, by the way, what are my usual numbers? <laughs> what did I double it to? Right. She goes, 5,000 downloads. I go, what? <laughs> Why am I fucking doing this? And then I've been listening to a lot of feral podcasts and they all have promos for other podcasts. Multiple promos. And they're all for new podcasts. Yep. I'm like, 
what about me? Mm-hmm. Like everyone now knows about the Sklar Brothers podcast or Johnny Pemberton's, <laughs> which they're all good, but it's like, <laughs> I have one too. Are you afraid that your podcast is only being distributed locally? <laughs> <laughs> they're not syndicating my podcast. Yeah, it's not going out to the world. <laughs> no. Every other podcast is, is global. Yours is just, <laughs> it's just confined to the Los Angeles area. Oh, so now I'm doing, I was like, I got to get guessing in. And then when you tweeted about my podcast, thank you, by the way. Of course. I was like, hey, yeah, I got it. I got it. And then last week, Dustin texted me. He's like, you're now up to like 13,000 downloads. So I was like, that's better than five and that's just me going uh <laughs> squeaky wheel gets the grease so i'm back to having guests i ex- anticipate a lot of downloads with you as my guest i will see i hope <laughs> i hope so I, I appreciate you having me on because i know that your your goal is to have people that you don't hear on a million other podcasts it's true and that's not me <laughs> It's not me either. I will do a podcast. I'm like, like, you know how certain talk shows like on Johnny Carson or Letterman, whenever a guest would cancel, there would always be the same. Yeah. Like Tony Randall was it? Tony Randall would always Blake was a guy would fill in on Carson all the time. Like Sandra Bernhardt would go on Letterman (laughs) or or Terry Garr all the time. And I was like, I think I'm that, but for podcasts, like, (laughs) oh, is it always people asking you at the last minute? Yeah. And by the way, I wasn't, I've wanted to have you do this for a long time. You weren't a last minute. <laughs> no, get, I know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm always, hey, you want to do my podcast? Sure. When? Uh, half an hour. <laughs> it's always Jesse Thorne. Jesse Thorne is always Jordan Jesse go. I'm always the goat. I'm the right. uh, Tony Randall. <laughs> <laughs> the Tony Randall of Jordan Jesse go. <laughs> um, Where'd you grow up? No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to just start stealing from Mark. I'm going to start stealing from Mark Marin. Um, I, I did a show last night. Where? Hollywood Improv. Okay. Brendan Small and I do a monthly show called Baked. Baked. And... I don't know if you noticed on my Snapchat, Snapchat, my Instagram. I, sure. Uh, I was wearing a heart monitor last week. No, I didn't. Was that, was that in a story? It was in a story. Yeah. I was wearing a heart monitor <laughs> because I started having heart palpitations like a few weeks ago. Wow. What does that feel like? Does it just feel like your heart is racing? No, it feels like your heart stops for a split oh, second. Oh, that's what a palpitation is? Have you had that? No. <laughs> I always, palpitation to me always made it seem like something that was happening quickly. You know what I mean? As yeah. opposed to, it, it felt it's a like. a flutter. It's a weird. Yeah. It, it's hard to explain. It feels like it's skipping a beat and then making up for it by doing two really fast. Oh my God. And you also, I think your blood starts stops pumping for that split second. So you get lightheaded for like half a second and then it's normal again. No, thank you. And this started after I started exercising and lost 20 pounds. Mm-hmm. I was like feeling great. I had energy. And then one day I was out walking and it happened and I was like, Oh, what the fuck? And it's just been happening more and more. And I think it's panic attacks. 
Really? I went to my the doctor. But, but very mild or something? Yeah, because I'm on an antidepressant for panic attacks. I've been on it for had, 13 yes. years. Yeah. And um, yeah, uh, my doctor, like he took my blood blood pressure. They d- did blood labs and everything. They're like, everything seems fine. It's probably stress. But they did the, they put that heart monitor on it. He's like, we're just going to have you wear this for like three or four days. Just wear it all the time. Unless you're taking a shower, then you can take it off. Otherwise, wear it 24 hours a day. Do you wear it around your neck? Is it taped to it's you? It's around your neck. And then there's three little sticky Sensors, pads. Right. And he's like, we just want your normal. Just do everything normal. I want your normal resting heartbeat. And there is nothing normal about your heartbeat when you're wearing this thing because you're always aware of it. So I'm, I was always stressed for four days. I was right. just like, I, w- I would wake up like going, oh, I hope this is normal. doing well. And then it would beep just randomly, which would also scare the shit out that of me. That would be terrifying. A couple of times it made this noise. I'm going to play this for you. And it was louder than it will seem on this, but this will give you a a good no no uh uh-uh. uh you hear how long this is going yeah yeah Was we it? want your normal resting heartbeat with this uh, also we want you to send a few faxes yeah, from uh, your heart yeah heart faxes and then a menu came out a chinese menu came out of my mouth <laughs> So last night we were at the improv doing our show and I was, I started having the heart palpitations and I was totally out of my head the whole show. I wasn't not able to enjoy it. Did it last that long or it just happened and then you couldn't stop it? Happened about it happened and then I kept manifesting it to happen by thinking about it. Right. right. So I'm fairly certain it's panic attacks. Yeah. Oh, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had... Any issues like that? Um, the closest I came was I had to do, I was doing a, a, maybe it was a special for Comedy Central. And you know how you have to do, if you're going to do a thing like that, a lot of times they ask you to do a physical for insurance purposes. For most TV shows, yeah. yeah. Whenever you do a pilot, they have you do it. So you go to this, you know, this doctor who's in an office on Hollywood Boulevard. Hollywood you know. and La Brea. Yeah. I went the to same, the same doctor. Everyone Little tiny woman. One. Yeah. Yep. Yes, exactly. Yep. And so it's it's the most cursory oh. exam. Yeah. But she said there was some something irregular in your heartbeat. And so you should have that checked out. <laughs> and I was freaked out. And so I go to, <laughs> I hate to say this, a real doctor. Yeah. And... I have all these tests done. I say, this is what this doctor said to me. And so I, you know, I want to have the full battery of, of tests. And so I do everything, all kinds of x-rays and a, uh, whatever oh, it is, not a, not a cat scan, but whatever you, you do MRI. What is it? Where you go in and ultrasound, maybe an ultrasound. And it was fucking expensive. And then afterwards you're like, yeah, you're fine. There's nothing. there. Uh, I just, my got my SAG insurance back, and that's part of the reason why I am going batshit crazy with doctors Absolutely. and dental appointments. Yes, because it was 2015. I basically took off work because my dad was sick. Yeah, and so I lost my SAG insurance for most of 2006. Well, all of 2016, and then uh, so last year I was just working my ass off, and finally, you know, the beginning of this year, 
I was eligible again for like the top tier insurance and I got it. Like as soon as I, they gave me my cards, I was like made so many dental appointments, <laughs> doctor's appointments. And I'm still not even like, I want to see an allergist. I want to see everyone. Steve, that's commendable. Do you realize that? Because a lot of people are not good about people that don't stuff. like going. I love, I love finding out that I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> It's a huge relief. Oh my God. It's, it's such a relief. Yeah. I don't know why. And and people hate going to the dentist. I don't mind going to the dentist. You know, I didn't go to the dentist for years because I was traumatized by our family dentist when I was a kid (laughs) who drilled my teeth without anesthetic. What? Yeah. I can't remember if. I, but I feel like I would remember if he gave me an injection and it didn't work or something. Right. But it was a couple occasions where it was excruciating pain, excruciating pain. So I was so terrified of the dentist. And then when I went the first time I had a, in, in my adult life, you know, um, I had a, uh, a girlfriend who said, let me set you up with my dentist, terrible dentist, like, like so painful. And that scared me off it for Ugh. another 10 years. Wow. And now I go, and then I, then I went to another guy <laughs> who was terrible and I was like, what the fuck? And I finally was like, there's gotta be. Were these people that were recommended to you? Yes. Oh my God. Yes. One by my girlfriend, one by a friend, uh, the next one by a friend who was terrible. And then I finally found a decent dentist and I was like oh this is what it's supposed to be like is that you go and they take care of you and it's not scary yeah it's just mildly uncomfortable at best even when I had I I had to have a root canal done and the guy was he was a young guy and I feel like I might have been his first root canal oh because it was he kept like he kept talking to me through the whole thing like you're doing you're doing great you're doing great just hang in there i know i'm, I'm sorry like he he's apologizing to, to himself me. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah he's just great. encouraging himself you, you could do this you went to school, <laughs> went to school. <laughs> this, this is you're allowed to do it um oh. and that was that was a thing thank god that that's come a significant distance that procedure that it was more just uncomfortable than anything yeah um, but after Afterwards, the guy sent me a thank you note. <laughs> he was like, thank you for being such a great patient. Thanks for not biting my finger <laughs> off. Exactly. I once <laughs> shot a movie in North Carolina, this really small independent movie. And leading up to it, I had been having occasional pain in this molar mm-hmm. on, on my bottom right side. But only like just for like a few minutes, it would hurt. And then it wouldn't hurt anymore for months. Mm -hmm. And I was getting ready. This was like the end. This was like the end of June of 2010. I was getting ready to go. And my friend, uh, who had been, who had been aware that I was having this pain, she was like, you should go see a dentist and get that looked at before you go away for like three weeks. (laughs) Yeah. And I go, I haven't had any pain in like a month and a half. I'm probably fine for three more weeks. I fucking get there. And it was a Friday night. And this shit always happens on a weekend Mm -hmm. when there's no doctors open. Mm -hmm. Friday night, I wake up at like two o'clock in the morning with the worst fucking pain and it won't go away. Mm. It's just throbbing. Mm. 
I'm just eating Tylenol and nothing is working. And so I call like one of the producers on the movie at two in the morning. I go, dude, I need help. I go, I, I, I feel like I'm going to die. It, right. It's such bad pain. Turned out it was an abscess. Oh, and, uh, like the, the next morning, you know, there's no fucking dentist open. We go to urgent care and they're like, I don't know what they didn't know what to do. They're like, it's, this is your tooth. We don't, you need to see a dentist. And I'm like, who the fuck am I going to see? And the same girl, shouldn't they have that information? You would think. Do you know what I mean? They didn't. What the fuck, man? This all is, you have to do <laughs> is have a list of names and numbers. That's all you have to do. This is like North this, Carolina. <laughs> but it must have happened before. Do you I, know what I mean? I'm shocked. This that makes there, me mad. I'm shocked that there was even. I'm sorry. You have to adjust the no, levels because no, I'm screaming. I'm shocked that there was even urgent care in this part of North Carolina. <laughs> what part? Of, where were you? This was right outside of Wilmington. Okay. Um, so that same girl who's like, and she's like my medical guru, by the way, mm-hmm. she's like, uh, my friend Bronwyn, she's got medical guru. I have a, dude, I have a pain. You should go to the doctor because, nah. because of her. I haven't taken antibiotics in seven years. She's helped me like preventatively had, you know, I used to get sinus infections like right. twice a year. Terrible. Became allergic to two antibiotics because Ugh. of this. Um, She's a musician, but she also has like a photographic memory and she reads like medical journals and anything to do with medical. So she knows everything. And, uh, she's, she's like tenacious. And, and so I'm texting her. I go, I can't find a dentist. It's fucking Saturday morning. And I had to shoot later that day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she calls me like an hour later. She's like, I found a dentist. We'll see you. She's like, go to the, this address. And I go and says, and it's not like an oral surgeon or a period. It's like just a dentist. Right. And I'm, she's like, he'll meet you there at one o'clock. I'm sitting there at one o'clock in the driveway in my rental car. And this fucking truck pulls up and this guy gets out in short pants, t-shirt. He's like, Hey man, you the guy with the, with, Abscess. With the bum tooth. <laughs> the bum tooth. And I'm like going, Oh fuck. And, but I was at that point where I didn't even care anymore. I would have let right. him go in with the pliers. I was like, yeah, yeah. So we go in, he's like, takes an x-ray. He's like, oh yeah, man. He's like, you have an abscess right under that molar. You need a root canal. He goes, I can't do that without an assistant here. And what was happening was because there was an abscess under the tooth, it was just this swollen pocket of like pus or whatever. It was pushing the tooth up. So the tooth was above the other tooth's tooths. <laughs> it was above the other. T- it was it was above the other. It was above the other teeth in my jawline. So it's raised up above the other teeth. So whenever I would bite down, the upper mo- teeth would just hit that sore tooth. Yeah, push it down into the abscess. Ugh. So he's like, "What I can do." He's like, I'll give you something for the pain and I will file your tooth down so it's flush with the bottom teeth so it won't be hitting. And he did that and it fucking totally helped. It was just a little sore then. Like I could totally deal with it. He's like, he's like, uh, my assistants will be back Monday. Come in Monday and we'll do the uh, root canal. And then they would have to then build your tooth back up? Yeah, which they do anyway with 
root canals. They do have to do a crown. Yeah. But I went back in on that Monday and, uh, he was pretty awesome, but because it was not in the tooth anymore, it was below like, you know, a root canal for those listening, they, they hollow out your tooth. You know, you have either like two roots in it, or if it's a back molar, there's like four roots in it and they have to just bore out all the roots. And then they fill them with like this, you know, artificial stuff that just so now you just have basically a dead tooth in your job but there's no more nerve endings it's like the stuff they put in stuffed animals yeah it's batting cotton cotton batting <laughs> yeah and so uh i go in and he's like we have to drill through the tooth into the jaw where this abscess is and drain the abscess and he goes i've got your tooth emptied out it's not, like you're not gonna have more any more pain in this tooth he goes but when I get into that abscess, he goes, the anesthetic that I've shot into is numbing your gums and your teeth. He's like, it's not going to numb your jaw. You're going to feel this. And I was like, I don't care. I, uh, I just, so he's drilling, he's gets his fuck. It's a long drill bit and it, he's going in and going in and I just hear it and he goes, all right, man, he's all, this is going to hurt really bad for about two or three seconds and then it'll be okay. He's like, just bear with me. I'm really, he was like, apologize. He's like, I'm really sorry. He's like, but this is the only way. Mm-hmm. And so he hits the fucking abscess and my fucking back arched so far off of the chair that only my head and my feet were on the chair. <laughs> and I was just going, Aah! and he kept going, I'm sorry, buddy. I'm sorry, buddy. I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> and then the pain stopped. It was one of the worst fucking experiences ever. Oh my God. Isn't it weird how dentistry, <laughs> how little it's come in a way because they still like, like part of it is scraping your teeth. Oh, you know, if you get plaque or whatever, like there's not some sort of vibration machine, not a polisher or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Anything, but that they have to get a stick and like scrape around in there. That's actually the worst part to me is the feeling and the sound. It's like fingers on a chalkboard. But, yeah. All but the sounds you, are horrible. The sounds. All the sounds are so bad. And you feel and just the feeling. Yeah. That it doesn't hurt, but it gives me just the creeps while it's happening. And yeah. Just, like my I've got goosebumps while they're doing it. Like I I went in I had a root canal two weeks ago which was fine. I mean, it sucked, but it was fine. And, and I've had two deep cleanings, like, because oh. I haven't been in in a while. Yeah. So they're like going into the gums. Deep cleanings like, are bad news. And there's like blood and like, yeah. And now they do a thing with lasers. Once they do it to like get rid of the dead tissue in the gums, yeah. it's really thorough, but it's like, it takes a long time and it's a little painful. How are you with, uh, having blood drawn? totally fine. I kind of love it in a weird yeah. way. I think it's fascinating. And I, I can't, I can't look at the needle going in, but I'm once it's same, in, I'm the same way I watch because I feel like I'm going to flinch and it's going to, I'm going to fuck it up. Yeah. Like it's going to, they're going to break the needle off yeah. of me. But once it's in there and they start drawing the blood out, I can't help but look at that, at the blood filling up the syringe. Yeah. It's fascinating. It it's fascinating. beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful because the blood, it's like, it's coming out in these beautiful, rich clouds and filling up the syringe. And it's a lot darker. Than, yeah. Than movie blood. And it's delicious. Cause I'll say, Hey, before you take that, can I get one sip? 
Can I get a hit off that needle? Yeah. Can I lick the needle? Will you squirt it into my... <laughs> I hate the taste of blood. Like when they're doing the deep cleaning and yeah. like you can't really swallow. And so you feel Ugh. like your saliva building up in your throat and yeah. you're like, please put that vacuum in there. Yeah. Because <laughs> exactly. I'm starting to taste the fucking blood and I don't yeah. want to swallow right now. <laughs> I like when they ask you if they can place their instruments on your chest. Yeah, I'm like, I don't. Do you do you mind if I place my instrument? Because you know why? One time the person didn't ask me, and I was like, oh, I beg your pardon. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> I when I was having my last deep cleaning, I very slyly took my phone out of my pocket. I was like, I want to get a photo of this because they have me wearing these like sunglasses yeah. because of the the bright light and. And uh, so I take it out. I'm like slowly raising my hand up to take to take a picture without her noticing. And she just goes, you can take a photo if you want. <laughs> exactly. And I go, oh, you don't mind? She's like, everybody takes photos in the dentist chair. She goes, it's just a thing now. Wow. Yeah. I've never done it in front of the dentist. I've done it when, they if they leave the room and I have like something that's holding my mouth over yeah rubber exactly thing. yeah and the glasses <sighs> yeah she was like everybody because i in my head i'm like they don't want me taking a photo because what if they fuck up my teeth and then i have evidence you know like well, also you're revealing their secrets like the when that magician oh, a scraper that magician went on tv <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> no but she's like you can just lift that camera up and take a photo. I go, you don't mind. She's like, everybody does it. It's a thing now. And so like the whole rest of the time, I'm just like getting angles and close-ups. And I was waiting for her to go. You're a good photographer, Steve. I really enjoy your photos. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, I always have. I always have. I started taking photos when I was, uh, I took photography in college but this is like the early nineties pre digital cameras and in the class we would have to, so we'd use film and then we would have to develop it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I just hated that. Pro I hated waiting. So once, uh, you don't like being in a red room. Oh, hate, I hate the smell. I hate the chemicals. Those smell. chemicals are pretty intense. Yeah. And, uh, so it was, it wasn't until I was working at Kimmel that uh, I bought my first digital camera mm -hmm. because... Were you resistant to it for a while? No, I just felt... I was like, I don't know anything about this, but I was like, I have access to so much cool shit here at the studio. And like when band, cool bands would play, I could just like go up to the side of the stage or like in front of the gate, like where all the fans are and just mm -hmm. take photos. So I was like, I should really t take advantage of this. And so I would ask all like the the cameraman on the show and they would give me advice on cameras and, and that's where it started for me. Did they try to advise you to get like a big television camera? You know what you should get? One of these. It's on wheels. It's $25,000. <laughs> you know, I'm a researcher in, and I make $700 a week, right? Plugs into any wall. <laughs> plugs into any wall. <laughs> Comes with a stage manager. <laughs> it's got a red light on it. I get to wear these headphones and talk to Bobcat. <laughs> That's where I met Bobcat. He was, he was, uh, Bobcat Goldthwait was the director of the Jimmy Kimmel show. Yeah. Were you writing on Kimmel? Eventually, yeah. For a very short time. I think I was going to be fired. What were you doing before then? I was a researcher or as a 
refer to it a TV watcher. So you would look for shit that would be good fodder for them to make fun of. My job for like Clips. three years on Jimmy Kimmel's show was sitting in an office watching TiVo TV programs yeah. all day. It was horrible because you're not watching, you know, Lost or fun yeah. show. You're watching like The View, Judge Judy, CNN, <laughs> fucking uh, uh, just C-SPAN. So much C-SPAN. All the religious shows. And it was fucking just horrible. And the only reason I stayed was I wanted to be a writer. Mm -hmm. And he eventually made me a writer. And then uh, it was like three months of just me pitching shit and Jimmy going, no. What, what, what was some of the stuff that you pitched? I pitched at least once a month. I would pitch a bit called <laughs> Laughtovers <laughs> because <clears throat> there was this thing that I noticed would happen whenever a big news story broke, like Lindsay Lohan gets out of a car and she's not wearing underwear and everyone mm. sees her vagina. And so the next morning, every writer would have a bit to pitch about Lindsay Lohan yeah and we'd maybe do one and so but there would just be this fucking supply of old Lindsay Lohan jokes and I was like what if we do a bit once a month called Laughtovers where we show all the old bits and Jimmy was always like no and then you know a week later Britney Spears shaves her head I'm like why don't we do Laughtovers Jimmy we got to the point where I was like I would just fucking pitch it all the time. And then what even Which by the way, you're not supposed to do that. Oh no. This is this is one of the one <laughs> a basic writers room rule is yeah. you pitch something, it doesn't go, it go. you never hear it that's never brought up again. Yeah. <laughs> that but it was incredible. A, it was like any big news story there would be 40 pitches yeah. and I was like some of these pitches are great. We should you know He's like, no. And then it got to the point where afterwards I would pitch it to writers on other talk shows like <laughs> like, like Dan Cronin over at Conan. I'm right. like, just pitch this bit to Conan. I want to see it get on the air. And <laughs> everyone. And everyone would be like, nah. I was like, huh. Do I know anyone on Byron Allen Entertainers? Byron. So I would just... And Jimmy... And I just had different, I think, senses of humor, mm -hmm. different sensibilities. And uh, and so I, I, I saw the writing on the wall. I was like, I'm going to get fired. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get fired because nothing I'm pitching. Some of the monologues. Because I'm obsessed with leftovers, my great white whale. <laughs> I'm Solieri. <laughs> and uh, a lot of my monologue jokes would get in, but that's about it. None of the bits would get in, though. Although my biggest, uh, my proudest moment was, uh, it was a Friday and Steve O'Donnell, who was the head writer at the time, Steve used to be the head writer at, uh, David Letterman. Steve invented the top 10 list mm -hmm. and, uh, really funny guy. And he goes, this is the end of the day. Friday. He goes, Hey, you guys, Chris Elliott's going to be here on Monday. And so he wants us all to pitch bits for him to do on the show. So before you leave, everyone, you know, submit a bit, an idea. And so like everyone was just like wanted to leave because it was Friday. So everyone was just really quick handing in bits. I stayed hours writing 
like 20 bits mm-hmm. I, ideas, 20 ideas. And I put them in Steve's mailbox. And then uh, Monday he comes in. He's like, hey, Steve, uh, Chris really liked one of your ideas. We're going to do that one. And I was like, yeah. Was it laughter? That meant I got to be the writer on the bit. So I got to hang out during rehearsal of it. And, and was it leftovers? It was not. <laughs> Chris Elliott's leftovers? No. Oh, fuck. That would have been <laughs> fucking great. No, it was a bit where Chris, uh, Jimmy was like, so what else is new? And Chris is like, oh, I I got ordained online so I could marry a, uh, uh, some friends of mine who, who got married a few months ago. And uh, I found that now that I'm a, an actual ordained minister, I have other powers. Like I can heal now. <laughs> and so he went into the, uh, he, and Jimmy's like, is that true? He's like, you can heal people. He's like, yeah. And Chris looks into the audience and we had a, a stunt woman in a wheelchair and he's like he's like you man what's your name and she's like oh Allison he's like hey Allison he's like how long have you been in this wheelchair and so he gets down and he's like puts his hand on her head and he's like Alice stand and she like (laughs) just keeps sitting there looking sad he's like Alice stand up she's like not doing anything he's like god damn it Alice get and he drags her out of the chair and he's just dragging her along the floor she's laying there It was all right. And uh, (laughs) Chris was really, he sold it and he was really funny. That was also Abby Elliott's first time on TV. She, oh, wow. They did another bit where he's like, my daughter's getting into show business. And they uh, look to the side of the stage and they open the curtain. And Abby is sitting on a stool on top of this little pedestal that that turns 360 degrees Mm -hmm. really slow. So the whole two, uh, two, um, segments of Chris's time on the show they would just randomly cut to Abby sitting on a stool turning and then by the end she just throws up all (laughs) (laughs) how fast was the the turntable going kind of fast like I wouldn't have been able to do it for two whole segments I was like that's a little too fast and she did it and it was really funny do you know what the trick is is you look at a fixed point that's right it's an old ballet move that still doesn't work. I've had vertigo for like, since I was like 18. Jesus Christ, and, Steve. And I can't. What are you trying to prove with all this? This makes me dizzy doing this. What, just slowly swiveling back and forth in a chair? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's the fucking worst. I'm the worst What's person. What's not wrong with you? Um, I have a good grip. <laughs> <laughs> Do you play tennis? Sometimes. I haven't in a long time. Janet Varney and I used to go to Griffith Park and play tennis a bunch. Really? Yeah. There's a really great tennis court when you go up from Hillhurst, mm-hmm. not the Vermont. Actually, Vermont and Hillhurst, they both kind of join. But just before you get to the Greek theater, mm-hmm. there's a road that goes off to the right to a golf course and a tennis court. And it's they're never full. And you just pay like five bucks and you just stay as long as you want and play tennis. It's funny because I kind of don't think of you guys knowing each other. Yeah. <laughs> we, How long ago was this? This was probably like three or four years ago. Wow. Um, I don't know how I met Janet. I think it was probably, it was pre, hey, shut up out there. It was pre <laughs> those thrilling adventure. I've known her before. Maybe, maybe because of Sketchfest. Steve, do yeah. you remember when you did that? Episode of Thrilling Adventure Hour. Oh my and God. You played Cinnamon. Cinnamon. I 
That was one of the most, <laughs> that's honestly one of my favorite, I think it's in my top 10 times that I've spent on stage. It, me too. Because Steve broke, Steve was doing this crazy character and this thrilling venture hour was a scripted show. We would hold the scripts in our hands. Like it was like a old timey radio show. And this was like a horror movie, you know, kind of scene. You and Paget Brewster had a recurring uh, series of stories on the thrilling yeah. adventure hour. We played the same characters. We were supernatural detectives. Frank and Sadie. Frank and Sadie Doyle. And so usually it would be like, you know, it would be riffs on famous monsters, you know, it'd be mummies, werewolves, whatever. Yeah. For this one, it was the only time we ever did a thing that wasn't supernatural at all. And it was just like kind of... It was kind of like Saw or, or even like the, the guy from True Detective, you know, it was like this weird, um, killer crime, like serial killer guy. Yeah. 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 And my character was named Cinnamon. Wait, is the show, it was, the show was True Detective, right? On HBO? Yeah. Yeah. It it sounded wrong. It sounded wrong when I said it. I was like, that's not it. You're putting, you're just putting two words together. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone does the, uh, True True Detective. Detective. Now that I think about it, what a bad title. But yeah, I played a, and you can, you can find the podcast. There's a podcast, Thrilling Adventure Hour. If you scroll back, maybe a year ago, they put it out. I think it's called Stabbing in the Woods. I think it's the name of the episode. Yeah. And Steve played a character named Cinnamon and no one knew what you were going to do because I don't think we had run through it. No. And you did this crazy voice and your physicality, everything about it was insane. I don't know why I was... Physically embodying the character for a radio I show. No, well, because it was in front of a live audience. But I never you know. knew that otherwise. Yeah, that's that. true. That's true. And this is great. We did do a rehearsal, and I hadn't found that character yet in the rehearsal. Mm-hmm. In fact, reading this when they sent me the script, I didn't understand what was funny funny about it. I right. didn't understand what kind of character it was. It wasn't until I walked out onto the stage in my head, I go. <laughs> Oh, this is Jigsaw from the Saw movies. This right. is a fucking crazy serial killer. And that it, it didn't hit me until I walked on the stage. But it broke everybody that was on stage. And what was great was it didn't break everybody at the same time. Yeah, it was weird. Everyone kind of took turns being able to hold it together. Yeah. But there was always, always, always at least one person who was <laughs> like just the shaking shoulders and the hiding their face in the script. Yeah. It was so funny, and I've listened to it since then, and, and it's weird listening to it because it's funny listening to it, but the audience is just laughing along with us in yeah. those weird moments that aren't always funny moments. You're like, yeah. why the fuck is this? If you just randomly found that podcast, you'd be like, why are they laughing? <laughs> Nothing is happening. I don't know, though. I, I, I would urge people to check it out and then see... What their experience is. That's really only happened to me one other time. Have you ever done Tom Papa's show at Largo? No, I have not. He does a show called Come to Papa. Because um, his last name is Papa. There we go. But uh, it's also built around kind of an old timey rate. Not an old timey radio show, but he would write sketches and people would read them. I had also, no idea. I thought it was just stand up. It's stand up in between. I had no idea. And all the sketches relate to like the time of year. So like we did one in the fall. Mm-hmm. And so he wrote a bunch of Halloween sketches. And the weird thing is he's like really good friends with Matt Damon. 
<laughs> Tom Papa. So Matt Damon is like almost always on those shows. Mm-hmm. And Matt Damon is a huge comedy nerd, which I had no idea. In fact, he met Matt Damon on that movie that you were also in with him. Yes, where I sat across the table from Matt Damon. The informant. Yes. The informant. The informant. There's an exclamation mark at the end. <laughs> That's where Tom met him. And uh, since then, Steven Soderbergh, I guess, has put Paul or Tom in a few of his movies. Mm-hmm. Like he was in The Nick. Um, but. Oh, yeah, I remember seeing him in The Nick. So yeah. we. he In The Nick, which everyone should watch, is one of the most amazing series. It was a Cinemax show that Steven Soderbergh directed starring Clive Owen about a hospital in New York at the turn of the century, like 1901. And Tom plays an x-ray salesman mm-hmm. like he there's a scene in the hospital where tom's in front of all the surgeons and the heads of the hospital and he's trying to sell him an x-ray machine and this is 1901 so these doctors are all looking at these x-rays of a guy's hand and they're like like they're seeing fucking voot they're like what the fuck they're like you just <laughs> took a picture of this guy's bones through his skin and tom's like yeah this is gonna be a game changer in hospitals and they're like is it safe and he's like Oh, yeah. He goes, I have one in my house. My kids play with it all the time. (laughs) And you're just like, oh, I want to see that story of these kids in 20 years with cancer. He's like, my kids photograph their skulls. (laughs) But anyway, so we did a Halloween episode of Come to Papa. And I think this one's on Tom's website, too. You can find the podcast. And so Tom wrote a sketch for me and Matt Damon where Tom is interviewing us. Tom is playing himself, but he's interviewing me and and uh, Matt as Dracula and Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And I am playing Dracula and Matt is playing Frankenstein. And we are not talking like old timey, you know, Bella Lugosi actors. We're just talking like ourselves, normal, normal slang. But we end every sentence, like since I'm Dracula, I end every sentence with blah. <laughs> And Matt ends every sentence with Grr. other than that, we talk totally normal. So I read the script. He sent it to me and I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. This isn't that funny. We get to Largo. We rehearse it on stage. I was still like, this is not funny. The audience isn't going to laugh. You're saying this all internally. You're not In saying. My head, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, what do I know though? <laughs> Tom's been doing comedy way longer than I have. And so, when the show starts, we go out and like a minute into the sketch in my head, I go, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. And I'm doing it with Matt Damon. <laughs> and I think in his head, he was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. And so period. <laughs> period. And I'm doing it with this. And I was in, we bought a zoo. <laughs> yeah. And so I start laughing at how fucking stupid it is. <laughs> And then he starts laughing. And soon it was, we couldn't, this was a sketch that was maybe three minutes long. Right. It took like seven or eight minutes because I couldn't breathe. I was bent over. Every time I would go, I would just start fucking laughing. It was the same thing. If you listen to it on the, on the podcast, it's like, this isn't. Why is this? Why is the audience going crazy? But you know what? I, do you ever, have you ever heard, um, Lauren Lapkus's podcast with special guest Lauren Lapkus. Yes. It's, it's just her and one other person. Usually sometimes she has, you know, a team on or whatever, but the idea is that, um, 
the guest is the host. She doesn't know who she's going to be playing. It's the, her guests decide who she's going to be and they, and she doesn't want to know anything in advance. They tell her in the moment, you know, and so she has to come up with a, with a character and a voice and you know all that stuff. And so there's always, it's a, that shows a great example of that moment when, uh, when everyone's everyone involved, all the performers, they all come to the same place at the same time. Like, yeah. like you just hit a thing where you all seize on it. Like it's a phrase or something that you then can't stop saying over yeah, and over yeah. again, or w- w- like a, an idea that you're <laughs> like, you just feel it, you feel it. And so even as a listener listening to that, you sense when it happens, yeah. you know? And I mean, it's obvious because people, you know, the, the tone shifts and they start saying this thing over and over again or whatever, yeah. or you, they start laughing or whatever, but, it's moments like that to me are are so completely magical that they're undeniable yeah. so that even a person who's not there it's not that you had to be there it's like it comes through and you you feel like you're experiencing it along with the people i did an episode of your podcast spontaneous <laughs> nation not the live one at Largo, but the one we did in studio P- uh, pediatrician's office yeah emily gordon was the the guest and mm-hmm. then uh the and she told a story something about body switching or whatever mm-hmm. and so when we started improvising i forget who the other guests were maybe amanda mcconville was there i know for sure but anyway the the bit was it was in a pediatrician's office mm-hmm. and uh because emily had mentioned body switching <laughs> Uh, the, someone, whoever the, the other improviser was started improvising that they were s- turning into a dog. It was Mark McConville and Annie Savage. Annie Savage was yeah. turning into a dog. Oh, because we had talked earlier in the show. I think it came up in my monologue about the idea of a movie. There have been so many body switching movies, but it was, was there, I, I wanted to know, was there ever a movie a human and a pet. where a human and a pet swapped bodies? Yeah. And I don't listen a lot of times. So <laughs> this thing is unfolding and That's everyone nice to is know now. in on it. Right. Everyone is in on it. And I am so dense that I don't realize she's turning into a dog yeah. in this improv improv. And it wasn't until like the last like minute that in my head I'm like, <laughs> I almost audibly went, Oh, <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, Paul talked about bodies. <laughs> I was so fucking dumb. I think we even say in the thing. Yes. <laughs> she switched places with I'm the so dog. nervous doing improv that in my head I'm like, oh, oh what can I what, can, what and I'm just not always paying attention. <laughs> and I did groundlings. <laughs> No wonder they kicked me out. <laughs> Did they kick you out? Uh-huh. What is that? What what company well, they were you in? They me out. Jesus Christ. The Groundlings, uh, for those who don't know listening, is it's like the West Coast Second City. It's like an improv yeah, and sketch. It's a school of improv. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, improv sketch comedy theater where a lot of uh, 
SNL cast members come out. Will Ferrell, Sherry O'Terry, Lorraine saw, Newman. I saw Phil Hartman at the Groundlings in 1985. Phil was one of my teachers. I was visiting. Um, I was visiting my sister, and no, it was 84 because it was an Olympics year, and they did a show. It was like a. a um, uh, thematic show. He used to do this character, Chick Hazard. Uh-huh. It was like a, you know, film noir detective guy. Yeah. And so it was going to be an evening of that. It was a, a Chick Hazard mystery. Oh, shit. And it was, and that was, I think, maybe right before he was on SNL. Right. Wow. But it was, he was undeniable. It was like, this guy is the greatest, you know? Yeah. He actually, he wasn't one. I, for some reason, was thinking Phil Lamar. Phil Lamar was one of my teachers. But yeah. That's different, Steve. But both groundlings, both named Phil. True, but you did lie. Uh, <laughs> but I'm admitting it. <laughs> uh, no, so in order to be in the company, you have to take classes. Yeah. There's a beginner improv class, an intermediate class, and then you go to a writer's lab where you write sketches, and then there's an advanced show that's made of improv and sketches that you write. And it's two shows, the, the advanced classes you write a show for six weeks then you perform it and then for six more weeks you write the second show and then the company the 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 members of the groundlings come to those shows and watch you and then they vote on whether you advance into the sunday company Mm -hmm. and uh the night the our first show was great all the members were there the night of our second show like half an hour before our show started, there was a bomb scare on Melrose Avenue. And so they closed off all of Melrose. Wow. Our show was canceled. And we're like, well, we have to do this soon. We'll do it tomorrow night. I think maybe two or three groundlings came to the show, meaning only two or three groundlings could vote. Right. Because they have to see both your shows. Right. So only three people voted on me. And they were people that, really didn't like because I was already friends with a lot of people in the company and so I was making myself very familiar I would be hanging out in the green room when I shouldn't have because I was a student and I think some of those people were like fuck this guy (laughs) and so I got voted out Um, I don't remember where I was going with this story (laughs) wait how do we get onto the groundlings Uh, don't remember I don't know we're talking about I don't pay attention in improv yeah and then I said, I got, I was in the Groundlings and I got kicked out. That got your attention. There we go. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm, I bet I have Alzheimer's. What? Forgetfulness. It gets harder though, as you get older, it's not, it's not, you know, that's not just a cliche. It's like, that is a thing, but you know what it is? I, I always maintain it's that you, you, <laughs> However, however we access the storage in our brain, yeah. we don't have, it's like Ben Carson says, he could stick some electrodes in there and you could remember verbatim a book you read in sixth really? grade. Um, but I think that we don't know, we don't, I think there, shit just gets stuck in there. It gets pushed to the side because you have to make room for new memories, you know, yeah. and new knowledge. And it's always fascinating to me, the stuff that we deem, I, I'm good to forget this. You know, yeah, that can go away. I am so forgetful now. Like I get panicked a lot when I go to a party and all of a sudden I'm like, oh God, there's a lot of people here I know and I don't remember their names. I used to be 
I never forgot a name and I never forgot a face and I never forgot a context. Like I knew I would know your face. I'd know your name and I'd know where we met. And now it's like everyone, everyone I ever see did what, did I meet this person before? (laughs) I was, and who are they? I was once at a Starbucks and I saw a woman walking up to me and I go, and she had a look in her eye like she was coming up and she was going to say something to me. And yeah. I was like, oh, who the fuck is this? I go, I know I worked on a movie with this person or a TV show. <laughs> I think she's somebody's agent. Uh, and, and she walked up and I was like, hey, and like hugged her, talked to her like the whole time I was in line. Mm-hmm. Went to my car, was driving around doing errands. Later, I looked at Twitter and she was like, I met Steve Agee today. And like, I was like, <laughs> I go, I don't fucking know who that person was. I was going to ask him where <laughs> cake frosting was. At Starbucks. <laughs> At Starbucks. Excuse me. Um, Why did I? I made it into a supermarket. <laughs> Where's the cake frosting? Why? Um, <laughs> Look, I don't Walk out either. the front door. I don't listen. Go to Ralph's. <laughs> Why did I make it a supermarket? Um, <laughs> how's your pilot season? <laughs> You know, I had two auditions. You did? I had two auditions. But I, I also, I kind of took myself off the board for a while because I was hosting that show on Fusion. Yeah. And that kind of made it so that I was like, okay, I don't have to go on a, a ton of auditions. And so this was the first year where I said, oh, put me to my agents, put me back in the mix, you know, if there's yeah. anything that comes up that's yeah. good or whatever. And I don't know if it's that I was not getting called in or if my agent was making a judgment of, I don't think this is great or whatever, Yeah. but um, it was only two and I enjoyed, but the thing that was different for me this year was I actually enjoyed the auditions, which I've never, wow. that's never been the case for me. Yeah. That's never been the case for rare. me where, yeah, it's really rare. And I, cause it used to be like, I get so nervous about it. I get so worked up about it and I would get thrown by the littlest thing. Like if I had practiced it standing and they wanted me to sit, it was like, Oh, I had all this, (laughs) I had it worked out differently in my brain. That happened to me probably like six or seven months ago. I got an audition for a Coen brothers movie. Wow. And I was like, Holy shit, this never happened. Yeah. I, it's almost always just TV for me. And I go, I love the Coen brothers. I'm a fucking work on this. I'm going to be fucking ready. I'm going to mm-hmm. be completely memorized. Yeah. It's a fucking great story. And, um, they weren't directing it. They wrote it. And, um, McGee George, was directing it. George, McGee, <laughs> George Clooney is directing it. Matt Damon is starring in it. And I'm mm-hmm. like, Oh, I should tell Tom Papa to put in a good name, good word with Matt Damon for me. But anyway, I was like, uh, for days, I just was working on this audition and I had it. And it's like a physical audition. Like this guy's moving around a lot. So I'm like in here in the living room and I'm walking around and I'm very physical. And then I go to the audition and I'm sitting in the lobby and the casting director comes out. She's like, Steve, I could tell she had no fucking, I'm just Joe Schmo to her. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, especially with TV, you go in and they're like, hey. Yeah. And they're really friendly because they recognize you and it puts you at such ease. This mm-hmm. woman was like, Steve. And there's only one other person in the lobby. So she's like, which one of you is Steve? And so I go in. Her fucking office was like the size of this coffee table. It was so tiny. Mm-hmm. It was maybe 
15 feet long, <laughs> maybe four feet wide. It's like a big closet. It was, yeah, it was like yeah. a hallway. Right. <laughs> and she's got a chair against one of the walls and a camera on a tripod in the middle of this office and then a chair on the other side of the camera. There was nowhere to stand. She's like, have a seat. And I'm like, a seat? And like, I immediately was like, <laughs> In my head, I'm like, I only, I've done this standing the whole fucking time and moving. And literally the camera is on a tripod, maybe three feet from my face. Mm -hmm. There's nowhere to move. And she is just right on the other side. Like our knees are almost touching. Mm -hmm. And she's like, whenever you're ready. I just fucking panicked and immediately like like pulled up my script and was just reading off of it. Yeah. Because I couldn't remember anything anymore because I'm like... This is nothing like what I expected. It's such a bad feeling. It feels like such a defeat and and embarrassing, you know? And as soon as you finish, she's like, all right, thanks. Yeah. Not, let's try that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Try that. Like, she was in her head. She's like, no. I was like, Send in the other guy on your way out. (laughs) Yeah. And so I told my agents afterwards, and they're like, oh, you should have told her. So next time we go, I learned this moving around. And I was like... No, you don't understand. Even if I had said that, there was nowhere for me to stand in this room. Like, it still wouldn't work. You couldn't move the chair? No, because it was like... There was nowhere to move it. It was a four-foot wide room. Steve, don't get mad at me. I didn't didn't set this up. (laughs) Such resentment. But that to have that presence of mind to say... And I, I feel like I've... There's one time I can remember where I said, Hey, you know what? Let me stop and start again. Because I know I can do this better yeah. than that, you yeah. know? And th- I remember that even though I didn't get that part, I remember walking out feeling like, I'm glad that I did that. Yeah. And at least the the place you always want to get to is, no matter what happens, I did my best job. You want to leave thinking yeah. it's their mistake if they don't hire me for this. Which yeah. is like, that's a very grand thing to think. But you want to feel like... Especially, I guess it's if, if you feel connected to the thing and you feel like this is a great part for me, I could really yeah. do great at this. And I think I'm the, I think this is right in my wheelhouse and I'd be a great person to play this part. And I did my best yeah. job. Yeah. 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 Auditioning. Yeah. Yeah. I did not feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> and it helps when I go in and it's a casting director I've already worked with and knows me because yeah. I'm just like but that, hey can we do that and they're always like yeah yeah but when it's someone I don't know who does shit like that for mm-hmm. the Coens I was just like I, I gotta be professional I gotta one of the best experiences I well, I had two the opposite experiences one of the best that I had was with Carmen Cuba who's Soderbergh's casting person uh-huh. and I auditioned for the Nick actually for the role of the um oh the blonde guy with the glasses who's like the 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 finance guy at the oh, hospital yeah, yeah. 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 it's a good part and yeah it's a great part and I I never get to audition for stuff like that right been great on the Nick by the way well that's very sweet of you to say yeah um but she she's like she worked with me on it. She's like, let's try this. She gave me direction, but it was always fun. You know what I mean? It was like, it was not like, yeah, that wasn't good. Try it this way. It was like, that was great. Let's try this now. Try this kind of attitude. You know what I mean? And you got the sense that, Oh, we're, we're working. 
You know, yeah. this is like she enjoys what she's yeah. doing, and it's like so it's about amazing. it's about getting the best result as opposed to I've dismissed you because you don't look the way I thought this character should look or whatever. Yeah. The worst experience I had was in in a, in a in a in that world of things that I never get called in for was I got called in by Martin Scorsese for The Aviator. Holy Somebody had seen shit. me on TV. And, and th- that office brought me in and I, I went to, I'd never done this before, went to an acting coach, you know, yeah. and really worked on it yeah. and, um, you know, put everything I had into it. And then when I, when I got there for the audition, the casting person told me, yeah, so what Marty was thinking was he saw this, um, this character in this old movie that was played by this guy and he's like this. It's like, that's completely different than what, so I had to make this adjustment and I felt, I felt so out of my depth and it was terrible. And then I never, I never, of course I never heard back. And, uh, the person who got that part was Adam Scott. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. And when you see the character, it's like, it had nothing to do with anything that she told me. No, rarely does. (laughs) Yeah. I did what he did. I once, <laughs> you know, when you audition a bunch, you, you start seeing the same type of people or the same yes. people at the same auditions. Yeah. The, you mean the dark mirror where it's like, oh, that's what I look like yes. to people. <laughs> I go to a lot of auditions and then I'll see the same character actor people. And I'm always like, oh, fuck. Yeah, I can see this guy. He yeah. works on every. Like I'll see Stephen Tobolowski at a lot. Right, of right, like, right. He's in everything. He'll I'd walk, hire him. He'll walk in the room and they'll be like, oh, yeah, this is the guy. <laughs> and so when I see people like that, I'm always like, fuck. And then there's the times where you're in the waiting room mm-hmm. with all these people and the assistant comes out and they'll be like, and this happened last time this happened, I was in an audition and Matt Besser was also in the waiting room with me and the assistant comes out and there's like five or six of us waiting and the assistant's like, uh, Matt, she doesn't know who Matt is, but Matt's like, yep. She's like, follow me. It was like for a pilot and it was producer session. So there's like the producers and the director and the writers are all in there. There's a bunch of people. And those sessions are, are what's good about them, especially if you're used to live performance is that it feels like an audience. You can gauge laughter. Yes. It's great. Yeah. And so Matt gets up. She's like, Matt, follow me. And they go in and the room is like close enough where you can fucking hear everything. The worst. (laughs) The door opens. She opens the door and Matt walks in and you just hear everyone in the room go, Hey, how you doing? And they're all laughing. and And you're like, Oh, fuck. Why? I don't want to hear this. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. they like Matt already. <laughs> and so you can just hear mumbling and he auditions. And then he was, he's walking out here. Good to see you, Matt. See you later. And he walks out and, and then, uh, the assistant comes out. She's like, Steve. And she opens the door and I walk in dead silence. Like, uh, whenever you're ready, I'm like, why am I doing this? And so I went to an audition once and it was, it was for a pilot that Tom Papa did. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I am in the way that room. Papa needs a new pair of shoes. <laughs> I forget what it was called. It was something Papa. And, uh, there were all these character actors in the room. Uh, the guy who played Kevin on the office was in there. Like just all these right, kind of yeah. schlubby yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. And, um, so I'm sitting there and as one by one, as they're walking in, I'm like, I'm not going to get this. You know, like mm-hmm. Ke- David Keckner walks in and mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'm not going to get this. 
And I go, I'm not going to walk out without a fight, though. And so they come out and they go, Steve. And I walk in and it's like, I know everyone in the room, luckily. But they're not like, hey. But I walk in and before I start auditioning, like it's Dave Becky and like all these managers that I've worked with before. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I know everybody. And so I go, hey, when I leave, can you all like cheer and laugh and like (laughs) clap and stuff? And they're all like, what? I go, please just. When I finish and I leave as I'm opening the door, can you all like make a huge deal? <laughs> and so I auditioned and they're like, thanks, that was good. And uh, which it wasn't. And <laughs> as I, but I'm in my head, all I want is for this yeah, part. Exactly. I open the door and they're like, yeah, they're all laughing and they're like, bye, Steve. Great to see you. And I walk out and I feel so vindicated. And I walk through the room and everyone's like, Holy shit. Like, I can see them looking at each other like, what the fuck did he just say? That's fantastic. I think, by the way, they should not have done that. No. (laughs) They should not have done that at all. I think Keckner ended up getting it. (laughs) I hate this business. I once, when we were doing Sarah Silverman show, I once went to an audition. Let the people applaud. Thank you. Uh, when we were doing the Sarah Silverman show, I went to an audition for Allison Jones, who, mm-hmm. for those listening, is like the big comedy casting director. Mm-hmm. She does like all the Judd Apatow movies, everything with like Seth Rogen, like all the, she cast The Office. She's like the one casting director who you would want to favor you. Mm-hmm. And so I'd never auditioned for her before, but I've seen her name in credits on all the like best comedies. So I go, I'm sitting in the hallway outside of her office waiting and she, they like take a break and she comes out to go to the bathroom and she walks by and she sees me. She's like, Oh my God. She's like, I love your show. She's like, I'm such a huge fan. I immediately like, (laughs) like let out a huge sigh of relief. And then I went in and I auditioned. She's like, you're totally wrong for this. She goes, she's like, but I'm going to find something for you. She's like, She's like, this is to- so not for you. And she's like, but I'm going to get you in for something. Mm-hmm. I I tell my agents, they're like, that's great. That's really good news. I don't audition for her again for like two years. I'm like, you guys know she likes me, right? We're like, right. submit me. No one's submitting me. Finally, I go back for, it's for the office. Really funny part. It's like a recurring part. It's for like uh, Steve Carell's neighbor. Mm-hmm. And uh, I nail it. She's like, that was great. She's like, thank you so much. She's like, that was honestly, that was really great. And I, why I call my, I wait like an hour and I, I text my manager or email my managers and agents. I go, I nailed that. There's no way I don't have that, have this half an hour later. They write back, they go, yeah, they, uh, the writer of the episode decided to cast himself. I I go, Oh, they can do that. Oh, decided. Yeah. And it was Greg Daniels, who's also the showrunner of the yeah. show. He's like, oh, I'll just do this. It didn't become a recurring part anyway, but uh, I was like, fuck, they can just do that? Like, oh, I'll do this. That's fine. I hope he had fun. I hope he had fun doing it. It seemed like a fun part. I and hope I've he had a good never, time. I've never gone back to audition for her. I The last time I auditioned for Al- Allison Jones was to play the lead of The Office. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. The I Steve got, Carell part. Yeah. I got down to the final three or something and then never heard from that office again. Fuck. 
it's weird when <laughs> they obviously like you and then it's like it's like having a good date with a girl and then she stops returning but your the call. whole the whole process is so murky because it's all of these different people have to weigh in and so oh, yeah, yeah. the casting people of course have people that they think this I think this is the person for the job but then there's networks there's studios there's there's all these people that you know might everyone gets a say. So the casting person might think, I don't think this is the guy for the job, but the studio says, well, keep him in there because I think that he is, you know, I feel like, and that, yeah, that's true. A lot of the people, there's a lot of people at the network, people, you know, the producers, the, the writers, like everyone has a say. And I feel like it's the casting director who has the least say, like they after get, a certain point, yeah, yeah, they get together all the people they think are good, and then yeah. they show them to you, and they say, "I think this is the person." Then, then there's also it's like the you know stunt casting, and people always there's always offers out to people. Yep. I got demoralized on auditioning for a while because I felt like they it felt like I referred to them in my mind as cannon fodder auditions, where it's like this is just. Everybody killing time and hedging their bets until someone, a famous person agrees to oh, the offer. The or, you know. yeah, they have an offer out to like, you know, Clive Owen. for, And he's like, I don't want to do this show. Or And then, then it's like, thank God we held auditions. And then they'll be like, <laughs> yeah, but we have, okay, we have Paul F. Tom and they're like, we really like, I think we're going to go with this Paul F. Tompkins until Clive Owen's like, I'll, I'll do it. I was yeah. just holding out for more money, but now that you're not going to do it. Clive Owen, just, it's like... <sighs> He's beat me out for you so many things. It's like so, like just fashion wise. It started with croupier. Why him? Croupier. I wasn't convincing croupier. <laughs> that show was so good, so fucking brutal too. Yeah, I love the ambulance guys would were horse drawn carriages. Yeah. The ambulances, and they only got paid for patients they brought in they weren't yeah. on a salary yeah, yeah yeah and so a lot of times and i guess this is all based on fact like a couple ambulances would arrive at an accident and uh and they would have to fight over who took the the patient in it's insane what is this obamacare am i right oh sweet, next time guys sweet sweet obamacare get that hca in there um, do, do you have anything you want to, uh, I think we've, oh, we've got four hours No, uh, <laughs> hour and 10 minutes. That's not bad. It's damn good. That's decent. It's longer than my 55 minute. Uh, <laughs> what made you decide to stop at 55 minutes and not go a full hour? I don't know. <laughs> Because I think oh, I probably head, thought I'll probably have to put in ads. I, yeah, I think in my head I was like, well, I'll probably do an intro, and there'll probably be an ad, so this will probably still be an hour. But also, yeah, that's it. I don't know why. <laughs> Try having a normal heartbeat while that's going on. It's the robot call to prayer. <laughs> Face west, east. <laughs> Who knows what robots do? Face the, face the moon. They're weird. <laughs> face um, the moon. Magnetic north, of course. People can find you on the social networking. Yes, PF Tompkins on Twitter and Instagram. Facebook. Uh, I don't. It's the worst. Facebook seems pointless. 
It I does, send out a it? bunch of invites always to shows on Facebook. Never works. My my Twitter is designed to sync up with my Facebook, so I put it on Twitter, and then it pushes to Facebook. And then, I don't know, people complained about that or whatever, and I was like, I'll just de-link them. And I tried to do that, and it didn't work. It's still going through there. I check Facebook every once in a while. Oh, it's still people that I didn't realize were uh, racists who are also into my comedy. Oh, That's interesting. People I went to high school with <laughs> the fucking worst. Although I did for a long time while the election was happening. A lot of my high school friends who were like pro-Obama were like, yeah, just so pro-Obama. And now their fucking timelines are just blank. Like they're not posting anyway <laughs> anything because they're like... And they're just like, what the fuck do I say? Like, he really is turning out to be a piece of shit. Russia? Wait, they were they were were they pro Trump before, and now they're yeah. Like these oh, are people who were like because you said Obama, who I went to school with. Oh no, I meant Trump. People well, I went to wrong. school with who were like just full on Christian Republicans yeah. now, and they were like so into everything Trump was fucking preaching. I was like, that's fucking crazy. Yeah. And now in their fucking Facebook feeds were just nothing but Trump speeches and like, which that alone, I'm like, you hear what he's saying. It's not (laughs) even grammatic. Grammatically, I'd be like worried that this guy was going to be president. Yeah. 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 And then, and now just all this shit's going down with Russia and healthcare and like, Mm. they are not posting anything. So I was like, ah, Fuck. I didn't mean to get political at the end hey, of my podcast. Sorry, everybody. We know that's how I end every episode. Look, you had a lot of fun getting some inside Hollywood dirt. The people should also listen to your podcast, Spontanea Nation. Thank you. I hope that they do. It comes out Mondays on Earwolf. On the Earwolf Network. Uh, anything else you have coming out? Uh, we're going to be uh, doing Super Ego and Spontanea Nation in Brooklyn, November Ooh. 11th and 12th. Fun. September, uh, November 11th is, never forget, so November 11th. <laughs> November 11th will be Super Ego. November 12th will be Spontanea Nation. Uh, tickets are on sale now. You can go to paulftompkins.com slash live. at Bell House? At the Bell House. I love oh, the Bell House. Great room. The best. Um, please go. And uh, you should also buy any number of Paul's uh, specials. Thank you have you, some Steve. of my favorite albums. Thanks, man. I Thank really you. like laboring under delusion. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's fucking so fucking funny. Oh, and I'm working on... Um, uh, crying and driving, which is my most recent hour that I recorded. Uh, we're we're putting together the packaging now, so that will be out. One, that's not the one that you did on Broadway, is it? Yeah, here yeah, 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 at the Palace. That I for some reason I thought was the Orpheum. <laughs> that's right. And I did a show at the Palace, and we were texting about it recently. We had a great misunderstanding. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, the sound is was horrible. <laughs> that's where I did my special. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, the sound wasn't that bad. Uh, your special turned out great. I don't know how you got good sound. We did a show there and it was horrible. But I, you would think it might be the PA. I think it was the PA. Yeah. Yeah. Public address for the for the layman. <laughs> Is that what PA stands for? Yeah. Public it's a public address, address system. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. It's just supposed to be for speeches. We try to learn something new every episode of Uh, and uh, we just did. <laughs> Is that true? Paul, thanks for doing this. Steve, thank you for having me. And thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll catch you next week. Mm-hmm.